Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. Here's your host, William Powell, the king of DC media. What's going on, everybody? It is I, William Powell, your host from the coast, your sage from the stage, otherwise known as the king of DC media. Tonight, my guests are John Barton and Paul Sieber, producers, writers, and stars of the upcoming Star Trek fan film, Star Trek Farragut Homecoming. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Tonight, tonight was a good night. You fought well, and for that we have these fortunes. Some say that money is the root of all evil, but I don't believe that. Evil is the root of all money, and you, my big friend, you are evil. I'm Marshall Everett, and I don't always make money. But as a member of Fed Choice Federal Credit Union, I always save money. Fed Choice Federal Credit Union, federally insured NCUA. Membership open to federal employees and their families. Fed Choice Federal Credit Union, a proud sponsor of the Inside Acting Radio Show. And if you'd like to advertise on the show, please contact me at William400 at Yahoo.com or connect with me on Facebook. To, uh, the handle there is forward slash William.T.Pal or Twitter. Inside on the bar acting. So tonight we're going to be talking about Star Trek Farragut Homecoming, an online web series that John and Paul are raising money for through Kickstarter. They're looking to raise $15,000 by December 31st for things like CGI, ship exteriors, and other special effects. So to contribute, be a good member of the Federation and go on out to Kickstarter and search on Starship Farragut. So I see that they're on the line, so let me bring them on in. Good evening. Hey, how are you today, sir? Good. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Yes. William? Okay. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Good. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. We're very happy you had us on. All right, all right. So I'm going to plunge right in. So I'm going to plunge into this uh, question here about how you guys came up with the story for Homecoming. Now, I heard it was based on the uh, the next generation. So talk a little bit about how you came up with the concept. Well, actually, um, I, I actually started brainstorming the screenplay for this when we were driving home from the, sh- the crossing shoot that was the previous episode that's going to be coming out in February. 
and it's a very intense episode, and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff happens at the captain of the ship. And I said to John, I said, you know, we have to do something to kind of to kind of break that intensity of, of of the crossing episode, which is really a very heavy, very uh, dark. Um, action episode. I said we need something a little bit lighter. We need to we need to kind of kind of take a little break, a little pullback in the story a little bit, and have something a little bit calmer. And um, we had both uh, been fans of the Next Generation episode after the Borg, where Picard goes home and he visits his brother and goes back to the vineyard and so forth, and kind of reconnects with his family. I thought, wouldn't it be great to kind of do that same thing with Captain Carter um, and have him reconnect with his family a little bit? So that's really what Homecoming uh, kind of all came out of that. So an inspiration from the next-gen story and, and an intense episode that, that just that just led itself to something a little bit calmer afterward. Hmm. So, Paul, what are some of the ethical uh, conundrums that come up in this uh, this next series? Well, I would say probably one of the biggest things in this story that would be the ethical conundrum is uh, the old adage, can you go home again? Um, mm. You know, it's always nice to go home and you have a have a wonderful memory of how things were, but is that really how things are? Uh, I think that would be a big part of what this story is. And it's also it's also a, uh, a goodbye story. Um, this will be the very last episode of Starship Farragut in the TOS era. Um, uh, we will be will be ending the show, and uh, John's uh, beginning a new show starting next year called Farragut Forward, which I'll let him talk a little bit more. But it moves the entire series eight to ten years into the future, into the movie era. So, Starship Farragut's been around for over ten years, and we've all aged ten years. So we're going to have the characters do the same. So we're going to move into the future <laughs> a little bit. So this really is the end of the 1960s version of Starship Farragut in that era. Wow, wow. So, John, I wanted you to step back a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, crossing. So I know that, that crossing is in post. Is that right? What's going on there? Yes, um, the crossing is in still in post-production. We've got a lot of visual effects that we're working, and we're adding a new score. So we're having a very dramatic and powerful and intense uh, musical score to go with the film. And we're targeting a release in February. We're going to do a special release for our Kickstarter backers in January. And we're going to do another screening um, in near Baltimore as well with the physics lab up in that area. Nice, nice. And, John, I have to ask you, now, who does your CGI for your show, man? I was watching the... Uh, the captaining, man, it, it just looked great. The Who captaincy, yes. <laughs> yeah, that film was done yeah. almost ten years ago. Um, the, the our the principal company that does a lot of our visual effects and has been working with us since inception is Neo FX, and they're based out on uh, on the West Coast. And on the crossing, though, we in addition to Neo FX, we had Waylon Strickland, our our. Um, both our DOP and our video editor um, provide some visual effects, but um, primarily most of it has been with Neo FX. Great outfit. All right, all right, yeah. So now I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, either one. You can ask, answer this question about the great Stan Lee. You got him playing Admiral McCann. How did you guys pull that off? Well, um, our we, 
I should I should back up to say that last year we we wrote out a spin-off of 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 Starship Farragut. We introduced some characters from our series into a new um web series called Trek Isolation and it's about the USS Babylon that gets um isolated from normal space and and there's some conflict and some stuff happens and through working on that project we were and the principals involved um both Eric Moran and Dave Turner we were able through their network um be able to get Stan Lee and work with us and that that's that's yeah. an unprecedented and and rare thing um as you know Stan Lee does a lot of cameos in his Marvel movies but as I understand it, this is his first role doing a either a Star Trek film or a fan film altogether. Nice, nice, nice. So that, that segues into uh, Count Gordeval is uh, the leader of the Demons. I guess that's how you pronounce that. Uh, yes, Mr. Right. Yeah, so how did yes. you get uh, the Count? Well, you know, I've 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 uh, I've been friends with uh, Dick Diesel for um, for uh, a few years. We met at some conventions, and um, we always we always got along really well. We have some common friends uh, through some other productions and so forth like that. And um, I've always had uh, joked around with him. I said, "Boy, I'd love to get you in one of my movies or one of the films I'm working with someday." <laughs> I'd always love to work with you in something. And uh, so we're sitting down after we had the screenplay for Homecoming, and uh, Holly Bednar is our director of casting. And uh, normally I wouldn't do anything to um, infringe on any um, any concept that Holly had, but I said to Holly and I called John and and Mike Bednar and I called the whole team and I said, "You know, I'm looking at the screenplay. So what would you guys think if we got uh, Captain Twenty, Count Gordeval?" To play Consus, I said, you know, I've talked to him before, and he really likes Star Trek. I mean, if you've seen him back when he used to be Captain 20, I mean, you can really tell he's got the Spock ears on and everything like that. So I said, you know what, hey, it can't hurt. I don't know if we could get him. I said, you know, he's probably too busy, but I'll give him a call. And sure enough, um, he, he he jumped on the chance, and um, not only did uh, was it great to to uh, have a guy like that on set, but I have to tell you, his performance is, was outstanding. He's absolutely a terrific actor, and he really... Um, Got into the role of the conscious character and breathed life to it. It was it was just wonderful to have him around. Yes, yeah, fantastic, fantastic, yeah. So uh, let's, John, let's delve a little bit into the uh, some of the perks that contributors can expect if they contribute to this uh, this Kickstarter campaign. Sure, we have um, some very unique perks. All the props and costumes. Um, that we have used for the themans and the the colonist on the planet Chloris three, and even Captain Carter's um, clothing, they're all up for for buying through our Kickstarter campaign. The props that the themans, the bad guys, their their laser weapon pistols, their their communication devices, and their their spy devices, they're all up for grabs. Um, and I should point out that the theman costumes. Um, were screen-used costumes on Deep Space Nine. Um, one was worn by the principal actor, and the other was worn by the stunt double that actually flips off the um, the promenade set of Deep Space Nine. And the colonist uniforms, which are these olive drab and tan um, uniforms, were originally minor costumes on Star Trek The Next Generation's episode called A Perfect Mate. 
And these costumes were then later reused and um, both on Deep Space Nine and on Star Trek Enterprise. So they've they've been they've t- they have touch points in the three spinoffs of Star Trek and all screen use. So we're it's very nice to be able to leveraging um, these screen used costumes as a nice nod to those those other incarnations of Star Trek. All right. So I think we may have a uh, caller who may or may not have a question. Uh, there's number, let's see, area code 239, I think that's down in Florida. Okay, so let me bring on this uh, guy or gal from Florida to see if they have a question. Hello, you're on the air. Okay, yes, yes. Hello there, Dick Dizel here. Hey! Hey, Gore is on the air. Yes, thanks for joining us, man. My pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, You know, it it was, uh, you know, the playing with these guys and being in a Star Trek fan film was just awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I saw the picture. It looked, uh, looked like you were having fun. Well, you know, when uh, when I was approached about you know being a an evil alien, I said, "Well, dang, how can I not accept that?" <laughs> Amazing. But I, Amazing. I had to laugh a little bit. Talk, talk, I had to laugh a little bit. You were talking about the costumes. Of one little side trivia piece, uh, playing the theme and bad guy. Oh yeah. Uh, the the boots that I wore were the very first original Captain 20 boots that I wore on Channel 20. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Wow, man. Well, those are like one, one of the extra boots. benefits we had in, in, in filming, uh, filming with him was the location we got to do his scenes at. It's actually, um, it's in Northern Virginia. It's uh, called the Pope Leahy House. It's a uh, historic property that was designed and built by Frank Lloyd Wright. And um, I have to tell you, um, not only do we have we have this great actor there, but we were filming in this historic house at the same time. It was like a like a double bonus. It, it was truly awesome because, frankly, I've driven past the uh, the Pope Leahy House many many times with a full intention of stopping in because I'm a big fan of Frank Lloyd Wright and this was just you know wow you're going to film there that is so cool and it was it was an incredible house yeah yeah I saw the pictures it looks kind of like Japanese there's like a Japanese kind of influence looks like ultra modern it this it it this it this it had it had one of those looks that that surpassed any time frame you could imagine that that house could be in the future or the past, and that, that's just what made it absolutely perfect. Oh, or even yep. on another awesome. planet. Yeah, another planet. That's right. That's the whole idea. Otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Great, 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 great. So now, uh, Dick, I know I had you on the show before, man, and you you said that uh, you're one of those guys that you got on you got on TV when you're playing Captain 20 and counting all this, like, I think you told me one time that you, you're not quite sure what you were going to say. You were like more of an improv guy, but not much of a, not so great as far as like a script. So like, how did that work out, man? How did that work out on this one? Did they let you improv or what? Well, you know, that that, that always was a problem. I, I, I have appeared in uh, three Don Dohler movies, uh, Alien Factor, Night Beast, and Galaxy Invader. And in all three, I was scared to death about the fact that 
I had to read someone else's words. I mean, they were putting words in my mouth. Uh, I, I, I got through it, and then in the uh, early 2000s, I finally decided maybe I should take some acting courses. So I went to a community college, and that's when I found out that all this time I had been acting, but I'd been improvising. Um, and so, so when it came time to look at the script, for, fortunately, and I, and I it, was, it was not, it was only you know four or five pages. Um, it wasn't a problem. I mean, I, I I got into, I learned that I can get into the character. I could take on the character. Uh, Paul was very straightforward about what he wanted, and um, the uh, working with some these very talented actors that I had a chance to work with. Uh, it was uh, it was, it just came it just came very easily. I was very surprised. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to tell you, I'm one of the things that really made it a pleasure for me was that, you know, uh, as a writer, one of the things I try to do in my Star Trek stuff is I try to put a lot of subtext into the characters. So, you know, that someone says something, but there may be another meaning behind it, and that really sometimes can put an extra, you know, an extra task on on the actor to um, to, to bring that out. And Dick had that um, in the first read. He caught everything that I was trying to say, and it was just like, oh yeah, well that yeah, that's what I meant. Well yeah, you, you figured that out already. That was what I meant. It was just immediately he had caught all of those little innuendos about the character. So I mean, when he when I say he enveloped the character and, and, and became conscious, he made it more than what the words ever could have been on the screenplay. It was just absolutely a pleasure. Oh, I'm not, not blushing here. <laughs> but thank you, thank you very much. Seriously, uh, like I said, it was it was it was just just it was what a great experience it really was. Wow, wow, wow! So, Dick, did you get a chance to meet Stan Lee? No, unfortunately not. Uh, the only <laughs> the closest I've got to Stan Lee was watching the trailer that's up on right now for the Kickstarter campaign. Which I hope wow. everyone gets involved with and starts, you know, let's let's make it to that goal and finish this thing because it's it's it really is a great script. Yeah, oh, yeah. I agree. That was that was a, and on that note, I I, I just want to relay that after we had finished wrapping up the crossing, um, I think certainly a fellow producer Mike Bednar and I and, and a few others, I think that we were kind of reserved that. Hey, we've we've been doing this for ten years and and kind of letting go and and moving on. For the last three years, I've been nurturing the idea of taking our characters and and transposing them about eight or ten years forward into the new chapter of Farragut, where we will continue new stories and journeys. But it would be in the Wrath of Khan era, so the movie era of of Star Trek that you're familiar with, such as the motion picture on up, and. We plan to build a lot of the sets, new sets and props and costumes. We'll film principally here in the Silver Spring area, so that's good for you to know, um, William. Um, that'll be locally in, in Washington D.C. And um, so we were, I was kind of reserved that you know, hey, now I can really catapult and work on this project. And as as Paul mentioned earlier, he started writing and brainstorming and coming up with the whole concept for the homecoming. Um, immediately after filming, and he was telling me about it. He was very excited and enthusiastic about it, and I just like, you know, I was kind of deflated or or um, had that climax after filming. I'm like, well, don't hold your breath. You know, no promises. We'll read it. We'll see from there. 
And after I got it and read it, I was immediately hooked. And I felt like this is, Paul likes to write a lot of character-driven stories. And I think that's what Star Trek um, is about in, in most cases. I mean, Star Trek is about a lot of things, whether it's about um, current events, um, social issues, or or just characters and humanity. Um, but I like particularly like how Paul writes, and I could relate to the story, and I said this would be a great segue um, for the Farragut Forward Project. We can set things in here now and kind of transition everything, and it'll make sense to the audience. So it was a good opportunity to roll out on this story and kind of end out on Classic Trek and then set the stage for our Farragut Forward Project. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, so in the future, uh, without giving up, giving up uh, too much, is uh, Dick's character is Dick's character going to be in uh, some of the uh, the future episodes? I have some thoughts on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> you have thoughts on it, okay? <laughs> Ten years awesome. in the future. Let's see. I can be bald, gray, and. <laughs> Hey, we can do whatever we want with that. Hey, who knows how Themen's age? He might look great. That's true. That's true. Well, actually, one of the inspirations we had too, as we were finishing up the uh, the, the 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 final draft for for Homecoming, um, knowing that we had that we had the Stan Lee cameo was actually the first thing we filmed, which is was filmed out in California, and um, uh-huh. one of the first things that happened after that is we kind of got this little inspiration for us. We're moving into Farragut Forward. I had some ideas for what we could do with Farragut Forward in the future. And I said to John, I said, I had this story idea for maybe a second or a third episode of Farragut Forward. And I said, but let's set it up. Let's take the idea of what Stan Lee has in Marvel films. And so I recommend everyone when they watch The Crossing, when it comes out in February, and when they watch Homecoming, and then when they watch Farragut Forward episode one, don't stop at the end of the credits because there's a scene that's going to happen in the credits, just like they do in the Marvel films. In each one of our upcoming stories, which is going to lead up to something for Farragut Forward Episode 2. I'm not going to say any more than that, but make sure you watch through the credits. It's like a Marvel movie. You have to wait to go pee and, you know, and finish your popcorn. Um, <laughs> Stay tuned for just something a little, little something extra, and just little, little tidbits. But just like a Marvel movie, kind of hints at something a little bit extra. Um, we wanted to do the same kind of thing because we want to really build up to uh, a great story for the future. Amazing, and, and, amazing. And and William, just for our our local listeners in the Washington D.C. area, um, as we are building new sets in this area, if people have um, a warehouse or, or, you know, boat garage, um, something about roughly 3,000 square feet, um, we would certainly be interested in, in hosting our sets. Um, our sets will likely, we want to put them up in, in a permanent um, freestanding position that we can film at any, any given time. So, um, and certainly there's collaboration and um, arrangement that we could probably enter that would be mutually beneficial. Um, but we definitely want to, you know, it was when Farragut Films started 10 years ago, the we filmed here locally, and a lot of our sets were built, um, and we found a location that we could erect these sets, film, and then tear down and put the things in storage. We always wanted to have them 
in a permanent standing position, um, as in any studio. However, a lot of that being a nonprofit is cost prohibitive. So we we finally found a place um, back in 2009 or 2008, December December of 2008 in Kingsland, Georgia, and we built our sets and and that. So, but after 10 years, I mean, we it, it was it was time to kind of move on. Um, we've done classic Trek for a while, and no one else, no other Star Trek fan film project, has segued those characters and transitioned them, you know, into the the movie era. Um, as you may remember from the Wrath of Khan, they had those nice, elegant, nautical um, burgundy uniforms, and that's yeah. that's where we're that's what we're going to be doing. I mean, we, we are older. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, we've aged quite a bit, and it's. It's normal, and, and because we know the progression of how things um, how things change in the Star Trek universe, universe we certainly want to adapt and, and take advantage of that. Um, so it's another extension, another chapter of the project. Um, I yeah. just wanted to Is highlight the fact that here locally. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the, the costumes. I know that was it the, the director of uh was it Rafficon, I think it was uh Meyer, I think his name was. Yeah, Nicholas was Meyer, saying, yep. He was saying the commentary that, you know, these guys are in the Navy and they would have they wouldn't have pajamas, they'd have navy uniforms. But talk a little bit more about how folks can volunteer. Um well they can they can reach us through our Starship Farragut Facebook page. Um, we also have our Starship Farragut website, but I think we're most active probably just because of social media. We're active on our Facebook page. Um, okay. People okay. Come out and we and it, you know for, uh, for homecoming, you know obviously I mean we we've already done almost all the filming, the exterior scenes. We've got a film shoot on the next weekend we'll be doing and that should wrap up filming and, and um, for that and we'll be more than 50% at that point. Um, for our homecoming project, looking to get a welder, um, a poster um, and to augment our, our skills and talents. We're also looking to get some people that have carpentry skills um, and tools of that nature to help build some of these new sets. They're a lot more complex, these sets, than the, the ones from the 60s. Um, they've got a lot of complex curves and angles and, and um, mostly curves, so that creates a little bit of a challenge. Um, but we're smart enough knowing that, you know, it took about six years to build a bridge set, and so certainly we don't want to spend all that time, and so we've gotten smarter. So we're going to replicate what worked well and, and certainly adapt to what didn't, and for our new sets, we're going to have, like, um, the helmet navigation console will have some of the, the familiar quilted chairs that you saw in the movies. Um, we'll have some platforms to go up and down and the railings. But a lot of it will be green screen um, because the technology now exists where, and we've certainly mastered on our end to, to make everything look seamless. And it's just amazing with right. technology. Donnie Versaiga, who is a, a guy who is built a lot of the CGI sets. I mean, you can't even tell um, what CGI and what is is not. Um, even even a sheet of paper looks so realistic. It's just unbelievable 
what can be done now. And it doesn't even make sense sense to build all those sets. Um, so, yeah. but all you know, all yeah. different types of skill set. Even people that have camera. Um, if you're if you got know how to use a camera or hold a boom mic, um, help with lighting. I would say all areas of filming or set building are are welcomed. All right, all right. So let's get uh, into some fun questions here. Uh, we're kind of going to veer off a little bit, and then we'll kind of kind of come back to some future projects I wanted to ask you about. But let's have a little bit of fun. So I'm going to throw this out, and uh, you can go in any order. I want all three of you to answer. and go in any order at all. Uh, first question I have here is I read an article somewhere that said that Star Trek's innovations aren't so bleeding edge anymore, uh, especially the ones from the 60s. So uh, what's your take on that? Well, I would I would disagree wholeheartedly. I mean, a lot, if you look at the iPad even, which was an extension of the classic Trek logbook, and you have the, the, the flip-up communicator, I mean, the cell phone, I think a lot of the 60s Trek technology um, actually inspired scientists and to come up with these things and make them a reality. Um, I, I think, you know, it's going to be fairly soon where we have holodecks um, f- and, and food dispensers that, that provide us with food. I mean, I, um, maybe we're getting more and more sophisticated, so maybe that's why someone made that statement, that maybe the technology in the 60s looks dated. But without it, I mean, we wouldn't have had the ideas, you know, to make all these things. Hmm. They even have laser. They have the, the military now has weapons that have the ability to shoot lasers. The Navy. I just read an article last year where the Navy outfitted a destroyer with a, a laser beam weapon. So you know we're with that. You know that's <laughs> you know we now have ships that have phasers, if you will. So um, you've you got scientists at NASA now that are actually theorizing ways to actually do um, some some propulsion systems in space, which are. Uh, which would have a few years ago just been considered science fiction. Um, I know that the, the Japanese were testing a, an orbital um, satellite that was going to use a solar sail, um, which is kind of stuff you saw in some episodes of Star Trek. Uh, I know that there have even been folks uh, with NASA that have sat down and, and brainstormed ideas of what, how warp drive would work in reality. So, I mean, so John's absolutely right. I think Star Trek in a lot of ways has been the inspiration for science. Um, there is something about the 60s style of Trek, which had a very, had a very simplistic line to it. Um, but part of that was because of how television was in the era. Um, the sets were designed, the walls were painted actually a very neutral tone. And the way the wall panels were designed, that it was to be thought that a ship would be, that space on a ship would be convertible that you could move wall panels and change configurations within a vessel for different purposes, um, which is very practical. Mm. Um, you know, so you think even some of that architecture kind of works. But going back to the neutral color, one of the things they did because of the advent of color television was to paint the sets on the show a very neutral color and then use stage lighting, colored stage lighting, to change the mood no. and, the, and, and the direction in the set. So it was really the lighting mm. that gave the set some moves. So there was something to be said for how they designed it um, for the era that it was on. It was actually very progressive for television. So some of that might be a little bit dated now. I know if you watch an episode of Star Trek um, on your big screen um, in HD, you're probably going to see the wood grain uh, on the plywood panel. 
um, which is one of the things we have to watch out for. We film in high def. So, you know, our attention oh. to detail on some set pieces sometimes is, is, is has more thought put into it than they probably did on the original show because we're trying to get things to look good in high definition. You know, um, makeup, costuming, um, everything like that all has to be up to another level. But the technology had a certain style to it. I mean, if you jump into, like, science fiction in the 1970s, when you jumped into the Star Trek movie era and you looked at um, – Shows like, say, um, Space 1999, they, they, all, they all kind of like did envelop something from that era in the style of things. But the inspiration of technology from Star Trek has had a huge influence in science. You know, if yeah. I may jump in here just a little bit on this, you know, I'm wondering if it isn't the fact that Star Trek's been around 50 years already. And yeah. people are just getting blasé about the fact that we had, that they, these inventions were around back then and they're here now and they have them in their houses and maybe it's just like yeah maybe it's just they've accepted this as reality rather than fiction anymore and so maybe that's yeah. part of the reaction you know i mean uh i, I, I was watching my, my granddaughter play with her with her my three-year-old granddaughter play with her smartphone you know i'm going wow you know, it's like hello, um, but but you know you're right. I think, but but some of the low hanging fruit has already been been you know incorporated into into our lives. Now comes the tough parts: the transport of the holodecks, the the warp drive. You're right about the uh, about the NASA. There there is at least one scientist down there that has done the equations and has found a way to manipulate things to possibly create a a bubble around the ship that would allow it to move not to relative space, but non-relative space faster than the speed of light. I mean, in theory, it's now possible. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you're right. It's all, it's all coming to pass. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So I'm going to move on to the next question here. Uh, did the science of Star Trek inspire your career choice? Paul, I, I, work, I work in information technology uh, doing uh, contract work for the federal government in addition to my acting work. So um, I'd say in a lot of ways my, uh, I've always been interested in, 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 in science and, and how, we can, how we can improve communication and that kind of technology. So, yeah, Star Trek has definitely influenced my career. And, and for, okay. for, for me, I, I'd say certainly Star Trek inspired me to – um, in part to join the Navy. Um, I grew up in a military, mostly Navy family background, and but you know the not the terms and the nomenclature was very similar, and and um, so to be in an environment like Star Trek, that was a, a viable choice for me growing up. Actually, that's an interesting I, point that that John mentioned this real quick um, when we. Originally, we're sitting down brainstorming up the characters when, uh, for the first episode of Starship Farragut. One of the things we wanted to do was to have a character in there that was military. Um, yeah. Because it made sense, and that was the character where the character Prescott came from. 
Exactly. And speaking about my career, it was very simple. When I went to work at Channel 20 and they said, oh, by the way, you're going to do Captain 20. And Captain 20, the two previous Captain 20s, were Earth astronauts. The first thing I did was saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to have purple hair. I'm going to have pointed ears. And I'm going to do this funny thing with my hands and say, may you be happy with lots of prizes, space buddies. Did it affect me? Uh, yeah, a big time. Yeah, <laughs> love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I wasn't aware of the the the, the um, how deep a lot of people and a lot of my friends that grew up in the Washington D.C. area they all knew Captain Twenty. I, I'm have not having been growing up in this area. I was not familiar with the culture and um, the influence of Man, Captain you don't Twenty. Know what no. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? You, you don't say know that what you because. Listen, boy. <laughs> Well, my, 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 I was mentioning to my wife several times that I would go to conventions and I would talk to, I would talk to Dick and I'd say, oh, I was talking to Count Gore because, you know, the popularity of the Count Gore character. And not even putting it together where she grew up until she was a teenager down here in the D.C. area. So then we're out to dinner right before we got ready to film at Pope Leahy House. And I said, yeah, Dick's going to be there, and he's really getting into the character and was talking about stuff on the show. And she said, well, what's he? I said, well, he does the Count Gore. She wasn't as familiar with that um, because she doesn't watch the, the horror films and, and sci-fi films as much. And I said, you know, and he'd done other stuff too back when he was, uh, he was Captain 20. She went, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was Captain 20? And I'm like, yeah. She went, oh, my God, you're going to have Captain 20 at my house? She said, now I have to get up in the morning and do my makeup and get my hair ready and everything like that because Captain 20 is going to be in my house. She completely, it was absolutely hysterical. She was so excited that Captain 20 was going to be in her house. Amazing. Nice. That's, that's so nice. <laughs> hey, guys, I, I'm, I, I, you know, this is a great conversation, but as I, as I told Paul earlier, this is getting to be way past my bedtime. I'm a very early riser, so I'm going to bid the all a fond farewell. Wish you all very good luck in finishing the film. And I, again, want to encourage anyone who's listening to check out the trailer that's online and uh, become a sponsor of the film. Let's, let's uh, be, become, become part of the Star Trek family and the Star Trek legacy by helping support uh, Farragut Homecoming, okay? And Thank until you, next time, may, oh. may you be happy with Thank lots you. of prizes, Space Buddies. <laughs> Thanks Thank a lot, Dave. Thank you coming. so much for calling in. All right, bye. Yeah. Good night. Thank you so much. What a great guy. He was a yes, pleasure yeah. to work with. I just yeah, very honored and glad for his involvement. Yes, yes. So, we've got about about 19 minutes left. Let's let's have a little bit more fun with these questions here. So there was a controversy recently about a black actor uh, playing the lead in Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and director J.J. Abrams recently spoke out about it. So how do you guys think Gene Roddenberry would have handled that controversy? I think he'd have laughed at people. I mean, one of the things that, that Gene did uh, when he created the series was wanted to show the diversity uh, of humanity and, and to show that it didn't matter what race or religion or anything anybody was. The future was about everybody being together. Um, Earth, Earth is, is a united planet. Um, there isn't war. There isn't really even countries. 
uh, Earth at, the, at this point. It, it, it's one united world. And so he, he, he put a cast on the show where he had, uh, during the Cold War, he had a character that was a Russian. Um, he had a character that was Asian. He had characters that were African-American and black and from different countries. And that, so he really, um, I think, uh, grabbed a hold of the whole concept of um, having this diversity in the universe um, in the future, but the fact that people got along. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, all right. So, uh, oh, there's some more questions I have here about, uh, let's get into some hypotheticals. Okay, so, uh, John, we did this the last time we were on the show, but we're going to start with uh, Paul. We'll go Paul, John, Paul, John, Paul, John. So then, Paul, <laughs> so what? which would you rather have at your side, a, a phaser or a Star Wars blaster? Oh, phaser. <laughs> Definitely the phaser. Phaser's got more than one. Blaster has one setting, shoot somebody and kill them. The phaser, one of the things I thought was interesting on the show was when they developed the weapon for the show, it had a stun setting. That says something. Yeah. You know, it, it says something that my first goal isn't to kill. If I have yeah. to turn it up, if it's something I have to do, I will. But the fact that the weapon had a setting that was designed to incapacitate but not hurt someone and to me that means a lot that that it showed kind of what i think i think that they were trying to say about 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 the way people were thinking in the future oh yeah oh yeah john how about you hello yes we lose go ahead no i'm I'm here so what's the hypothetical again yeah, yeah, the phaser versus uh, which would you have rather have us oh, on the hip there, a phaser or I, a blaster? You know, I I don't want to repeat Paul, but I it's the phaser, and for the same reasons. I mean, you had the capability. There was, you know, it's not all about killing someone, and you know, um, it was a defensive weapon. It had very, it had like six, seven, I think six or seven settings, and and stun was one of them. So. Um, getting back to the mission of peace and exploration, the phaser is the ideal um, choice to have. All right. So let's move on to uh, so Paul. So which which powers would you rather have? Uh, the Force from Star Wars or Spock's logical skills? Oh, that's a tough one. The Force would be awful fun to put somebody with your hand without touching them. But... Um... I'd say in the overall scheme of things, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay a Star Trek fan. Um, the idea of logic, um, if we could uh, carry forth. When you look at the show, um, the character of Spock would speak about the fact that his planet was saved by it. You know, they were a warlike species who was destroying themselves, and they were saved by the idea of taking logic and making that predominant um, in their way of, of doing things and a way of thinking. So, I think to me, I think I would go with logic. I'm gonna go with the force. <laughs> I would, I would so abuse that ability. I mean, thank God I'm. And if I was an adolescent, you know, a teenager with girls, I mean, <laughs> I'd. I mean, but but seriously, you have the ability of the force. I mean, um, wow. Nice. <laughs> not said. He just said the force because Paul said, said the, the other one. Lee would say, not said. 
Yeah, no, I like being right. like a teenager with the girls, so that's the best. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, Paul. So, what about uh, what do you think is uh, let's see, which would you, which way would you rather travel, virtual reality like the Matrix or teleportation oh. like in Star Trek? Oh, teleportation. It would be the penultimate. <laughs> I get car sick, so the idea of getting rid of uh, motion sickness would be the best. Ever. I think if I was in virtual reality, I'd still get motion sick. Anytime we go to those rides at the amusement park that are the simulators kind of a thing where it just moves around and they got the movie screen, I get nauseous. So give me the teleporter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah how mm-hmm. about you, John? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the transporter. All right, all right. Oh, okay. Oh, hey, one more question. I almost missed this one. This is interesting. It's football season. So, uh, Let's see. You're betting on a football game, and let's see. Uh, Tom Brady and the New England Patriots are at home against the Romulan. Romulan. Okay, so, uh, Paul, who do you got? I think the Romulans might beat the Pats. Um, they were a physically superior race. I'm sorry. So I think they might have to. They might beat the crap out of them. <laughs> I just, uh, I just think uh, with, with the Spock was supposed to be like two or three times stronger than a regular human, so you got a whole whole team full of that. I think Brady's going down. <laughs> How about you, John? Yeah, I'm at the side with Paul as well. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. All right, okay. All right, enough of that. Uh, we got about ten minutes left, so let's just wrap up with. Uh, did we mention? Uh, did we touch on the bravest heart? What's going on with that one? Oh, um, the bravest heart is our pilot script. Um, it was written by Michael Jan Freeman, who is a very uh-huh. prolific um, Star Trek and sci-fi writer. He is also known for his work. He wrote a screenplay of of Star Trek Voyager. So he's written for, you know, the film, TV um, industry. And he, so when I uh, I approached Mike, well, actually, our, one of our good friends, um, Frank Hernandez, is good friends with him, and he brought him to the table. And he saw, the, he saw our work on The Price of Anything, and he was just blown away on the story and the cinematography by Matt Busey. And he just said, I, I want to work with you guys. And so when we were talking, I, I gave him some parameters, knowing that we didn't have a whole lot of sets and that, but we had access to um, some local Klingon fan groups that had made some very sophisticated costumes. And to my knowledge, they had some set pieces. So maybe they had part of a bridge set or something that we could leverage. And so he, with the framework that I provided, just to keep things within a, um, a limited budget, he wrote a really good story. And so um, it's gone through a cu- couple iterations. We're planning to film it next spring. And we're working with, like I said, the, these Klingon um, actors as well. And Eric, Eric Moran, who is has been on the sci-fi TV show Heroes of Cosplay, he's a big national cosplayer and, and goes to many conventions to meet people. And he's also got a DC comic book character named after him called Freight Train. 
Um, he he's playing the the main antagonist of the the episode, and um, we're hoping to get some other you know prestigious or more um, celebrity status type actors involved in it. Um, but it's it's a very good story, and um, but that is our proof of concept. Paul has written or is in the process of writing the second one called Confession of Pain. And mm-hmm. um that'll be that given that we'll have the pilot under our belt and we'll we'll plan to leverage Kickstarter for that one, um, we'll be able to buy and, and have, you know, the additional sets. And that is essentially our Rathacon story. So the big epic space battle, um just everything in it. Um, as just as ambitious as and as great as that film is, that's what we're striving for. And Paul can elaborate um, further. Okay. Well, that's actually um, kind of what we're leading up to with our little Marvel pieces, um, our little things that are happening during the um, end credits are going to hint to the audience what Confession of Pain is going to be about. Um, and it comes from a Latin proverb, um, revenge is but a confession of pain. And um, hmm. so that's a little uh, little hint toward the storyline. But what I wanted to do, John and I talked about. We wanted to do. Uh, we wanted to do. Uh, we wanted to do a Rathacon. We wanted to do uh, an epic revenge story um, that takes our characters. You know, they're in the future. This is ten years later. You know, um, when we look at all the history that Starship Farragut has put together with 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 ten years worth of stories, and. Why not play off of that history? Not just playing off the history of Star Trek. I think one of the things a lot of fan films do is they just play off the history of what other Star Trek did. And that's great. But what we've been trying to do with Farragut and what we really lead into with Confession of Pain is playing off of the history that Farragut has done. So it really is the Farragut, a Farragut story in the future. It is, it is a Rathacon in a lot of ways, but it is a, a vengeance story. Um, but it's playing off the history of 10 years of Starship Farragut stories and um, playing off of things that have happened in the past and in previous episodes. Um, we, we, we actually tie into that a little bit in, um, in The Crossing, which will be out once again in February. We'll be premiering at the Farpoint Convention in Baltimore. Um, the details will be coming up on that. But um, the, the, the idea was you know, to, to show um, things that have happened with Farragut in the past and how they've influenced things in the future. There's actually a flashback scene um, in The Crossing um, from the Starship Farragut episode, um, for want of a nail, um, which is one of the things that really kind of helped me to kind of really catch John's vision for Farragut Forward about jumping forward in time, because when we look at the footage of John and uh, Mike Bednar and myself um, from, ten, from what, about eight years ago <laughs> filming that episode, <laughs> compared to yeah. how we look in this scene, it's like, oh my God, did we age. Um, so <laughs> it definitely moves forward in time, but I wanted to play off of, uh, off of Farragut's history. I mean, this is, this, is a, this, is, this is a web series that has ten years of history, um, ten years of stories. Um, there have to be consequences for what we've seen, so why not play off of our own history and not just the history of somebody else's television show? Exactly, exactly. Okay, John, so we're about ready to wrap up here. So just uh, throw out there all your uh, your contact information as far as uh, keeping up with the Kickstarter campaign, how people, uh, you know, can sure. get in contact with casting, all that stuff. Sure, on, on Twitter, we're Farragut Films. Um, if you go to Kickstarter, it's, it's Starship Farragut Homecoming. Um mm-hmm. And if you want to go on Facebook, just look us up as Starship Farragut. Our website is starshipfarragut.com. Um, and again, if you want to reach out to even volunteer, 
Um, we'd love to have you um, involved in our nonprofit volunteered group. And I would say that, you know, please, on the homecoming, if you, you know, every dollar counts, it's volume. And in addition to supporting that financially, if you could get the word out, the more people that are aware of us, it's that third, fourth, fifth, sixth extension of your friend network um, of people that see it and, and are interested and they'll give. The wider the net, the more fish we catch. And, um, you know, we are a nonprofit and we work with young people, um, both high school, college students, people that are 20s and 30s going to college and, and wanting to be involved and get some experience under their belt. We've helped to um, we have some success stories with people that are now leading wardrobe and doing production management and directing other films. So um, it's it's giving back to the community. And if you're want to, if you love track filmmaking and and you know want to be part of our fellowship, please reach out and join us. All right, all right. Okay, John, Paul, it's just been a pleasure having you on the show. I, I look forward to the next time Thank I have you. you on. Thank you yeah. very much. And uh, once again, look for the crossing in February, and then uh, please uh, please contribute to help us finish homecoming. Absolutely. All right. Well, have a great Thank night. you, William. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right. Take yeah. care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And let me leave you with this quote folks from uh, Combe Meany, who played in uh, with The Next Generation and also Deep Space Nine, he said, I suppose I look for humor in most situations because it humanizes things. It makes a character much more three-dimensional if there's some kind of humor. Not necessarily laugh-out-loud type of stuff, just a sense that there is a humorous edge to things. I like to do that. Good night.